All right, welcome to another edition of the Adhocracy Podcast. As this podcast is still pretty small, uh, if you enjoy this episode, just ask that you would like, share, subscribe, uh, follow, all those internet words. Um, today I spoke with Mr. Jack Peterson, a software engineer from here in Washington State, about our favorite science fiction movies. We also got into some topics surrounding COVID, so I hope you enjoy. Boom, now recording. Okay, welcome to the Adhocracy Podcast, Jack Peterson. Uh, glad to have you on board. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. So, uh, we have watched a few sci-fi movies together um, and enjoy talking that. And we watched uh, Coherence, which we both had a lot of fun discussions about. Um, really great movie for a, a low budget, um, but a lot of questions that kind of came out of that. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, some of the things that I really enjoyed that is all put together, like you mentioned, it is all recorded in what, like one day? It was like two or three days. They did the two whole Two or three thing. days of like straight recording. Like I just, one, I find that impressive. Like, so props to whoever actually directed that yeah. and got everyone coordinated on that. Totally. <laughs> I cannot imagine that was a fun time for the actors. And then two, they actually used the real actors, actresses names in the movies, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was, you know, if you had a Jenny, it was Jenny, like in the movie, which was yeah, super Yeah, that cool. was a really so, cool way of doing that. Yeah, I think that just kind of makes probably for a more natural dynamic. So I, yeah, I thought that was a fun one. I was curious, you did some reading though about the asteroid and some of the similarities to things that happen in real life. What were Oh, the Tunguska, uh, uh, I'm going to probably butcher the name, Tunguska event where basically a, an asteroid exploded over Siberia. Um, I want to say in the 1800s, I forget exactly when, but basically there was nobody out there. So it was, it wasn't this big thing from our history that lots of people know about, but if it had been over a major city, it would have like leveled Paris. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that, then that, that was the one the piece from US that movie nuke, that was... nuke side of things too. There are all kinds of like things with electrical grid problems, right? Oh too? yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the EMPs. Um, and I don't right. know if there's EMPs that are tied to... I don't know if an EMP would be tied to an asteroid impact or not, but I'm sure that there's a lot of other impacts that could happen from an yeah. asteroid impact. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> Apophis, um, right? That, that's the big one that just passed by and we're good for another hundred years. Yeah. I want to, I want to dig into that one eventually, but uh, yeah. And it's supposed to land on a Friday the 13th is when it's going to come whizzing by next time. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. They, they dialed it in that close. Huh? April 13th. Yeah. But uh, we then went and, and watch Day After Tomorrow, or what was uh Edge of Tomorrow. I repeat, that was the re-re-re-retitling of it, Yeah, right? the retitling. That's why I messed yeah. up the title, not because I forgot. Um, <laughs> but uh, we sit down and watch that, and I thought that was a, you know, that was a good mix of action and sci-fi. But I think you liked it less than I was, than I was thinking you would, which really queued up in my mind, like, the type of sci-fi you like is, you know, it's it's probably a little bit different than mine, which makes it interesting. But also it's it's a little, I think you like the heady stuff more than the action, which I think at the end of the day makes a sci-fi movie that is more, like you can talk about it more. Yeah, I think for me, what really pulls me in, like if I'm going to suspend my disbelief, I'll watch Star Wars. Now this is going to like totally aggravate Star Wars fans out there, but it's Star Wars <laughs> is not sci-fi period. Star Wars is space fantasy. <laughs> I, I, 
I I can agree with that. Yeah, because you got the you got um you got the force and all of that. Yeah, you so. got the force, and it's it's a little bit woo woo, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's definitely got this like alternative religious overtone of like the force is in and around everyone. Yeah, there's midi chlorians, and there's kind of this like quasi real. We don't like talking about midi chlorians. So uh, <laughs> it's just. It's just, you know, you either have it or you don't, but then if everyone has it, it's, I don't know, it's just, it doesn't quite hold as well. So I can accept Star Wars and I appreciate and love Star Wars, um, you know, quite a bit, but to me, it's not sci-fi. It, it is space fantasy. I enjoy watching it. I loved it. Um, I'll be honest, Jar Jar was probably my like least favorite character, <laughs> but if you're going to introduce young kids into the universe and keep things going, I, I got to give them props for going out on a limb and experimenting. So. Yeah. Yeah. And actually like getting into Star Wars just a little bit here, but it was, I remember growing up, you know, and we heard about the prequels coming out and we're like, yeah, the prequels are going to be awesome. They're going to be great. And then they turned out to be these movies that like are pretty literally cringeworthy, um, <laughs> especially the second one. Uh, just the writing was horrible. But yeah. Uh, then, then we were going to get a new trilogy. And it's like, oh, all right, this is going to be great. And it's like, I think that they were good movies as standalone movies, but then you put this new trilogy up against the prequel trilogy and you're like, man, those prequels weren't too bad as far as like just a consistent story. <laughs> the writing that's, was I think atrocious. That's the biggest but... <laughs> challenge that, well, then too, there was um, other, other problems with, now I, I'll be perfectly honest. I haven't read the books, but the complaints I've heard from a yeah, lot of people either. is that the Star Wars canon is so vast and varied that to pick a consistent theme necessitated throwing out a whole bunch of categories of Star Wars. Yeah, the the books kind of because they picked up right at the end of Return of the Jedi and went on their own journey, which uh, Joanna's read a fair amount of those books and were, were very good. Um, and you know, basically Disney kind of went. Yeah, we're just going to say that those are stories within the Star Wars universe. Like, this is a story that uh, Han and Leia may have told to their kids about the adventures of Luke Skywalker, but they weren't actually the adventures of Luke Skywalker. So it's we're the mythology make the within the Star Wars mythology. Yes, in a sense, and, so, so. and then, but then now they're talking about how like they may do the same thing with the new trilogy they made because people dislike. It. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like uh but budgets had to be met in order to justify the acquisition cost. I think that's the, that's the hard well, thing is you have, you have very, a very select groupings of star Wars fan categories. Like it's, yes, it's certain, yes. some people will appreciate Jar Jar. Some people are expecting Emperor Palpatine in a very dark series of like, <laughs> you know, like there's just yeah. like totally well, different what, genres. What really hurt. What really hurt the new trilogy is is having the different directors and not having kind of a consistent story that they wanted to tell. Like if if you had been able to tie in more of a consistent theme between the the three movies, I think it it would have done a lot better. But yeah, but I, I will say the the they redeemed themselves with Mandalorian. I yes. thoroughly appreciated pretty much every episode of Mandalorian. I yes, thought that was that's done been really fantastic. Well. So yes, I think I it. I mean, they, they pulled in the good, like, you know, why is there the hate for the androids? You know, what's going on there? There's 
and it's just a it's just a fun story to follow along with. So yeah. it's it's space cowboy, you know. So it's got a little bit of that western type feel. Oh, it's, totally. It's good, good and yeah, solid. So definitely. Um, so, anyways, after uh, sitting down and watching Edge of Tomorrow or uh, Live Die Repeat, depending on if you saw it in theaters or on VHS or DVD or digital, yeah. I guess. Um, <laughs> I was I was thinking it'd be fun to sit down and talk about each of our top favorite um, sci-fi movies. Uh, okay. To uh, just just to see what what your where your brain is at when it comes to sci-fi. Uh, okay. Because I yeah I, I enjoy watching sci-fi movies with anybody, but I figured this would be a fun fun podcast to do. So I'll start. All right. Um, I'll that way you know because we'll we'll work our way up slowly up our list from five to one. And that way, I'll, I'll let you have the the final say on what what the best sci fi movie is. But uh, um, I'm going to kick it off with Terminator at, Terminator, at my okay. number five spot. Um, yeah, I really like the I, I really like time travel um, movies, and that one um, I think did it did it really well. A um, lot of you know, I. I do like action movies. Um, I think at the end of the day, I like the the kind of heady ones as well, probably a, a touch more. Um, but that one is just kind of a a classic um, sci-fi movie that I don't know. I, I, I in in the when it was released, it wasn't actually received very well, um, hmm. and I don't remember what it was. The kind of made it more popular. I think it was the the second one, the, the Judgment Day, the second one that was just a really, really good sequel that really helped propel that one out. So I'm looking into this here too. So I, I didn't realize this, but apparently I didn't realize James Cameron was the director of this, but this launched yeah. James Cameron's film career. And then also apparently it was solidifying Schwarzenegger's status as a leading man character. So that this is Wikipedia here. Yeah. Um, and apparently in 2008, it was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. So that's, that, I gotta say, that's some go. pretty good props right there. Yeah. You make it in for all time. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Did, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to give away movies that are further on each other's list. So I, I, I want to ask if this was on your list, but, um, Saying yes or no might give things away, so I'm gonna I'm gonna withhold that question, and we'll okay. just we'll see where it goes. But okay. uh, but anyways, well, well, I did a little bit of a cheat on my list here. I'm kind of looking uh -oh. at it because here's the thing: I'm not just a movie guy. I love TV series. I'm a sucker for just being dragged into this eternity. Oh man, you went of, shows of binge watching. Oh, so okay, um, I'm okay. including I'm including two TV series in my list of top movies. Because they're that good, <laughs> you know. You realize, you know, movie and TV is different, Jack. Just, just I understand. To but this here. is sci-fi, and I live for sci-fi <laughs> as far as my movie watching goes, and action adventure. So, okay, okay, all right. Well, go go ahead. All right, so I'm just throwing this out there now. I, I realize Stargate is a total copycat of the Star Trek series in terms of the five man away team, but now the movie <laughs> was absolutely horrible. Okay, the original movie was like at the top of cringe worthiness. <laughs> but SG-1 was a very solid series. 
Um, you know, you're not going to get any complaints from me. I I love like that was the first series and I might be stealing from your thunder here a little, but it was one of those it was one of the first shows that really had a continuing storyline, really set it apart at that time. They did they did a really good job. I think they copied a lot. So like if I'm kind of like thinking like I think it's a copy of Star Trek Enterprise in a lot of ways where it's like you get the group of people, they go on a little adventure. What was great about that was SG1 specifically kind of setting it up. Like, I mean, obviously the movie set the basic plot concept up, but they did a good job of like, here's this universe. It's very much grounded in the real world. And this, this again goes back to like what I like about sci-fi was that it's grounded in the real world. They even had like a whole origin story for humanity, which I thought was pretty cool. So mm-hmm. um, like where it's like, how did humans get here, you know, fully intelligent, evolved with, you know, like that kind of concept there. And it's like, well, they just, you know, they were brought here by, you know, in the Stargates by the ancients was like kind of this thing. And it like brought in this cool, like galactic level storyline and like how the planets were connected. And they, you know, came up with advanced wormhole technology. And then each episode could be an adventure of you don't know what you're going to get on the other side of the gate, you know, like, is mm-hmm. it going to be a hostile alien species that's far more technical, technologically advanced or, you know, is it a bunch of hillbillies that are, you know, subservient to, you know, some more advanced alien race, or is it just undiscovered and you can kind of sneak in and it's just a filler plot, you know, episode. So yeah, they did a really great job with that. And they did, they did have a couple movies. Now I think they were direct to DVD movies. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, So maybe we could wrap in the movies there, but (laughs) okay. So as a whole, the thing is that the movies, the movies fit in directly, I think is around season eight of SG one season. I don't remember exactly where Atlantis came in too. Yeah. But the, I think they're at the peak of their production budget is they're running two simultaneous TV series. Then everything died off. And then they did. They tried to kick off Stargate universe and that. Yeah. Universe. And that one was kind of cool too. It was dark, but it was also a little bit of a soap, soap opera Mm -hmm. kind of feel. So I think they, I think they did some experimentation there. I don't think it performed as well, but what was cool about universe and Atlantis was then they expanded it from just one galaxy to multiple galaxies, drastically increasing the storylines. Not that, I mean, a galaxy is ridiculously huge to begin yeah. with, but yeah. they, I think it opened the audience's perspective to like, hey, we can experiment in a totally different, you know, storytelling genre and whatnot and add new problems to solve like ridiculously longer travel durations. So. Yeah, I never watched, I watched, I think, one episode of Universe. I've seen. I don't think even one episode of Atlantis, but SG one. I mean, we have we have the full DVD set downstairs. Yeah. So, <laughs> not Blu-ray DVD. So, um, yeah, it's a that's a that's a solid pick. So, um, yeah. not a movie. Gonna say that again. Not a movie, and we'll bring it's that up again. We're gonna bring that up again the next time you bring something up on your list like that, Jack. But yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Given that you broke the rules there, I'm gonna go ahead and break your rules by putting Star Wars at number four on mine. You can put you can put Star Wars at number four. I will I will totally accept that because it's a debatable point whether or not it's sci-fi because it is. Well, it's future from our tech perspective, but it did happen a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, I would it's, argue in a parallel universe where the laws of physics are slightly different. But hey, that's uh, you know that's more of a fine tuning concept there. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know I it was just such a like when you look back at the movies back at that time, 
Like, I mean, th- th- there's a lot of movies that come out um, when you really kind of understand how movies are made and then you see something completely different um, and realize when a movie is a game changer in like your own generation. It's a little bit harder to look. I mean, unless you really watch a ton of movies from all different um, eras of cinematography, I guess you could say. Um, it's hard to really understand the impact of a particular movie. Um, like what one that I was, I watched a, a Netflix thing on, uh, the movies that grew up with us or something like something like that. But basically it was an hour long thing on Die Hard, which I'm all about. I love Die Hard. Um, but it was talking about how that was greatest Christmas an, movies ever. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, <laughs> But uh, they were talking about how that was an absolute game changer because not only did your leading man not, he wasn't like testosterone pumped, but they also incorporated a fair amount of humor into the movie. And like, if you look at like the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now, there is so much comedy and, uh, you know, not necessarily testosterone, you know, so it's that movie changed the way that action movies were made pretty much forever. I think. Yeah, well, I think I think um, MCU really pulled that off well with Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh uh, yeah, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt was fantastic. I think it was like a total like. Let's just try once again. Like it's it's the art people taking artistic license and kind of get, being given the authority to run with it. And I think it's great because I, I don't think everyone wants to be stuck into the same TV series. If if everything that's being produced looks the same, like it, it's not going to be fun for anyone. I think it's better for audience, better for innovation. We got to, we got to have more artistic diversity to, and sometimes you're going to get a winner. Guardians of the galaxy was fantastic. And sometimes you're going to get a total dud. Um, and that, you know, it happens. So. Yeah. Yeah. Guardians of the galaxy really came out of nowhere, especially for me. I remember, you know, we, they'd released a few of those MCU movies. I think I talked about this recently on with maybe on here, but um, yeah, Guardians was I saw it and I'm like, what what are they doing? This looks ridiculous. And then within five minutes of the movie playing, I'm like, I am all in. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, so. I do wish Groot had more than two complete sentences in the entire series. <laughs> makes him special, Jack. It's what makes him special. I, I know, I know, but I just he's fully sentient, but just can't express himself. And that's just, you know. He's he's got all the facial expressions though, so that, that, that's all you need. This is true. This is true. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, since um, you threw so I put Star, Star Wars, Wars on there. In there. That that was good. Um, <laughs> I it has someone named Luke in it, so I'm obviously a sucker for that. Um, okay, fair enough. But uh, yeah, that's that was one, and I didn't watch it real young when I was a kid. Like I actually was probably nine or ten, as opposed to our children who are like two when they first see that one now. So. <laughs> But, um, but I remember just being kind of like the ending and was like, is there more like Darth Vader's still alive? What's, and my parents being like, oh yeah, there's more of these. I'm like, can we watch it? (laughs) (laughs) So that, uh, yeah, that, that one has always been pretty high on, high on my list. So. Okay. I'm going to throw two in, two in, in the same category here. Since you threw Star Wars in, I can't not throw in Spaceballs. Spaceballs. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that that is that was that was Mel Brooks, right? That's a Mel Brooks yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, Mel Brooks. Yeah, parody of of Star Wars and a variety of others as well. Uh, apparently, I, I didn't realize that they're also parodying Alien and Planet of the Apes. So I'm gonna have to rewatch this to see. 
oh yeah what elements are um oh i i had the maybe the original planet of the apes yeah i i feel like there was something uh I don't remember all of it. Yeah, I haven't watched it in a while. I've, I've been wanting to watch it with Zach, but the uh, the language is a little steep for him still. So Sure, yeah. <laughs> okay, so was that your number? That's your number four? That, that, that's what you said? Is yeah, four, that, right? this, is four, this is 4A. 4B is Idiocracy. Idiocracy is the greatest documentary oh of humanity of all time. That is both remember... sci-fi and oh. documentary of present time and our trajectory as a society. <laughs> I have only seen that once, but watching that movie, it was, it was bizarre. It was was like, wow, this is, and like looking back, like over the last four years, shall we say, it's like, oh my goodness, this, this feels like we're heading in that direction. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I'm just going to leave that one there. I'm not going to comment too much on that, but that's my 4A and 4B. Okay. All right. Um, well, I'll jump to number three on my list then, and that okay. is uh, Contact. Um, oh, okay. I haven't seen that, that one in a very long time. I watch that one probably at least once a year. Okay. Um, I is really that good, like huh? I, I find I don't watch most movies more than once, maybe twice. Oh, man. See, I, I, I love rewatching movies. I don't know why, but it, but it's like I have to give it enough time where I don't remember everything because i mean i've seen contact probably a dozen times but i can't watch it like because the example here uh comes from lord of the rings where um i watched the lord of the rings way too many times when it first came out um and now i mean i love the movies but i have a hard time watching them um just because i literally know every line and you know of every sound of the whole movie and it's just not fun anymore. So I want to make sure that I don't do that with other movies. I still love Lord of the Rings, but I just, I want to yeah. make sure that I don't ruin other movies for myself as well. But Sure. Yeah. You're saying just, you don't have the entire soundtrack memorized of contact, what you do <laughs> of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, I just love the, uh, like part of what I really liked about that one was, you know, it's how the whole thing kind of got turned on um turned on the main main character's head where everything is all about science and data and fact and then at the end of the movie she has to tell everyone to take it on faith that um what the experience she had was real um and actually one of the pieces that they left in at the end it was the like the the 19 hour nine or 19 i forget how many hours of static see i haven't i haven't watched it recent too recently so i don't remember the exact amount of hours but um i don't know i just thought it was a really interesting take on how first contact could be and i mean that wasn't even really first contact that was more just like a i don't know if i don't know I mean, the whole movie is called Contact, so I'm sure that the implication is that it's supposed to be First Contact. But So the one thing that's kind of striking my mind here is when you're talking about, like, you, you kind of have to take the story, is it, was it this or was it that, like, kind of thing, was Life of Pi. That one, not at all sci-fi at all, but I, I solidly enjoyed that movie um, with the plot building up, this crazy storyline, and then at the very end, you're kind of left with a, well, which story do you like better? You know, like, I haven't seen it actually. So, 
We have to watch it. Now, I'm, 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 I'm terribly sorry. I ruined some key plot points there. But that, that feeling of it is absolutely incredible. So, um, and it does kind of remind me how, like, how some of the, like, family stories, like, seem to get, you know, like, bigger over time. Or, like, you hear people telling stories and, like, then you hear the other person tell it and it's, like, not at all what the story was. You're like, well, which one was it? You know, it's probably something yeah. somewhere in between. But, um, yeah. I like movies like that too, where you're kind of left wondering, like, I wonder which one it is. And you're kind of just left thinking about that. Okay. Okay. So what you got at number three? Okay. So number three, Space Pocahontas. I mean, Avatar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I like that one. It was a solid, like, from that, from like, the traditional definition of like what a sci-fi should be, which is like a critique on society or some aspect of society going all the way back to like Frankenstein. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, it's, um, I think it was a good critique on like, Hey, we probably shouldn't mine the crap out of our planet and destroy it. And the other part that I liked about it was it was a critique on like the healthcare system, like his brother's doing super great gets killed as a scientist. And then, he doesn't have working legs and stuff like that. But if he goes on this mission, the company will pay for his health rehabilitation and he'll be able to walk again. Was kind of like the promise. And so like, I think that's a good critique on where we are as an American society of like, you have the health wealth haves and the health wealth have nots. Mm. And so I think that's a good critique on like both, like you don't want to destroy the planet and Hey, we've got some like deep societal problems that, it'd be cool if we could work towards solving those in a manner that like makes sense and you reduce the have nots in that sense. So um, that one, I liked it from that standpoint of like, it's, it's a bit of a thinker and it definitely like, while it's cast, I think they set it around 400 years in the future. Mm -hmm. The problems that the society is facing then are similar, just less so than what we're facing today. Like we don't have epic levels of pollution like they do there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th those kind of problems. So I, I liked it from that standpoint. It was, okay. it was a critique and it makes you think about like where you're at today. Yeah. I remember uh, watching that in theater. And one of the big things there was, it was one of the first movies that really did 3d well um, yes. in the theater. Well, and the that, colors, they were ex exquisite. Yes. Um, like, so that was a, that was a lot of fun um, to watch that one in theaters. I remember not like I remember really enjoying it, but never wanting to go back to watch it again for a long time. Oh, and I've then, watched it. This is one I've watched a bunch of times. So this is <laughs> one that I actually. <laughs> this is one that I actually went back and rewatched. Um, I want to say a couple months ago, and I liked it a lot more than I remember liking it previously. Um, just the, I mean the. The graphics are, are, are great for the time. Um, I just, I, I really enjoy, and it, it was more than, I feel like it was more than this, because that, that was always my my comment, is it, is it was space Pocahontas. And I think there's definitely an aspect to that, but it wasn't as pronounced as I remembered. Um, there was definitely a lot more of, like you were talking about, like the environmental stuff that, um, going on. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a solid pick. It's a solid pick. Yeah. I like that. It was a, it was a good movie. So. Yeah. I'm looking here too. Uh, yeah. Stephen Lang, I got to give him, he gets the like top 
I just liked the role that he played. And this was also similar in Live, Die, Repeat. Like I felt like the character in there totally was like inspired by Stephen Lang's uh, actor as a character that, what was he? Colonel Miles Korich in Avatar. I just felt like he had such a unique, like strong military machismo type yeah, you know, hey, totally. I, you know, like here's these scars. You better listen to me, otherwise you're dead. Kind of, yep. you know, mentality <laughs> of like, I, I thought he he carried the role well. It was very believable. So I got to give him props there. Yeah, yeah, that was a he. He did well with that. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I like that. Uh, all right, what was your number two? Uh, so my number two is Jurassic Park. Um, I have oh, always, I have nice. always Michael loved. Crichton. Yes, I have always loved uh, dinosaurs. Um, Got the the T Rex skull here on my on my mic, um, but that was one like that's that movie right there was like the definition of my youth. Like I just that movie I, I loved. Oh it yeah, so the much. arm wiggling in the cage as they're pulling, you know, <laughs> you know, electroshocking the Velociraptor. It's an image that doesn't leave your mind. Like watch that, absolutely terrifying as a kid. Yes, like, I'm sure if I if I have my kids watch that, like. We're going to be dealing with nightmares probably for like a couple of weeks. Might be worth it just so she can watch it. Totally too young for the first Jurassic Park. Yeah. And I mean, the, and I mean, there's a lot of pieces that I really liked about that movie. One of them is the fact that um, a lot of the, the graphics still hold up really well. I mean, there's a few of the CG dinosaurs when they're real big that don't hold up too well, but like, Pretty much the whole T Rex attacking the the Ford Explorers, that whole set was just just brilliant. Um, and uh, I don't know, you, you got Ian Malcolm in there, you know, life Jeff Goldblum, life finds a way, you know, just totally. Yeah, so there's some great lines. In the, yeah, Jeff Goldblum was. I mean, he played the role really well. Um, who was the scientist who brought the uh stuff inside of the shaving cream like there's some comedy in there too oh yeah to it. um dennis nedry um i can't remember his yeah. actual name he's yeah uh, yeah yeah dennis that's right yes nobody cares say nobody cares like yes. this, <laughs> this cantina yes exactly dotson dotson <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's 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 a dinosaur movie um and i had never even really realized this uh we did let zach watch that one um recently and uh when when he watched it and i watched it with him for the first time it was like i think this like i realized a lot more this is this is sci-fi and horror like <laughs> this is, is pretty much a horror <laughs> it movie is, yeah so and i had never picked up on that because um you know th- there's a piece of me that as a as a kid like, yes, there were scary parts, but the majority of the film, you know, th- that scene where Alan Grant walks or, or rides up in the Jeep and he's pointing at the Brachiosaur and he's just like sitting there stunned. It's like, it's yeah. it's a dinosaur. You know, it's like I was like that the whole movie. So <laughs> so yeah. I didn't I didn't <laughs> no, really just... take in the the fact that it was a, a horror movie until much, much later in my life. Yeah. Well, what's what's so great about that one is they really do pull you into the, they've got a good storyline. The science of it is believable enough. Like Mm -hmm. it's not so far fetched. Like, yeah, it's it's futuristic, especially at that time. It's like 
right on the cusp of like computational genomics type of work of like, hey, I wonder if like we go here, we go here, like this is amazing. Just mix mix a couple of things together. And yeah, that's totally how it's, how it's going to work. And, mm-hmm. you know, boom, you just use the, the eggs and, you know, just keep the eggs warm and they'll hatch, you know, that's it. Bada bing, bada boom, dinosaurs, right? And then it's like, oh, wait, we just unleashed life in a way that we totally didn't expect and we couldn't contain it and whoopsies. Um, so yeah, and it's that right there again is like the ultimate sci-fi commentary of like, be careful of the technology you're tinkering with because you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, and I think a lot of movies they, uh, you know, they'll, they'll show the cool side, but then the fact that there's that uh, a lot of critique on what's going on within it as well. Um, so it's it's kind of the, I, I feel like if it was you know a pure horror, pure action movie, there's there's a lot less of that, you know, a lot less lines like uh, like Goldblum's line was that they were so pre preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should like kind of lines um so i th- i think having you know and especially having you know bringing in dinosaur experts and then the dinosaur experts are the ones saying you shouldn't have done this <laughs> yeah is uh what w- w- was interesting and and it's it's fun to watch and you know the the newer the newer Jurassic World movies um i've enjoyed them enough but i feel like like that Jurassic world was, it was a, uh, it was more of a month. I mean, I, I think you you could definitely make a case that all the Jurassic Park movies are basically monster movies uh, because they're not mm-hmm. truly dinosaurs. But I feel like when they re-engineered the dinosaur for Jurassic world and, and did that, they really tipped the scales from it being a dinosaur movie to just a pure monster movie. And like they, they tried to bring back some of the like, oh, it's so amazing. You know, like that, that Alan Grant moment where he first sees the, the Brachiosaur. They tried to bring some of that feeling back in, but it was hard because they were also playing so hard that uh, that new like dinosaurs aren't cool anymore. You have to come up with something new. And it was all about business as opposed to as opposed right. to science. So, I mean, I, I do. I have enjoyed it. Chris Pratt is great, here. but. If you're to, the hard thing too is if you're going to run like first Jurassic Park, absolutely innovative. The problem there is like, okay, life made away. They abandoned the island. Then the next one is what? A couple of years later in the timeline, they come back. The, everything's still thriving. Things have changed a bit. It was and a different then, island. It was a different was island. Was a different island? Yeah. <laughs> different island. Okay. Yeah, second right, island, island where they were growing the dinosaurs. Yes. It was a dinosaur okay. nursery right. basically. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And then, but then it, the, the storyline just goes in. Okay, now it's like military control, and let's use this as a military thing. And mm-hmm. like, we're going to be able to use these dinosaurs for, you know, as, as super soldiers kind of thing. Like that storyline's like tried and true. It's been like it, it's it's a solid movie plot line. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it just changes to an action adventure point at that point in time. I mean, it's no longer sci-fi. It's like that. Then is just action adventure horror in the sense of like people getting just absolutely obliterated by dinosaurs. I didn't feel like they, they were great movies. Don't get me wrong. They're great. The first one was the best. There was no topping it at that point in time. Well, and especially just to leave it at that, it would have been complete anyways, as is, and you would have always wanted more there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the hard part of like, 
continuing a series is if you don't have it planned out as like a TV mega series or some big universe type of thing where you can really experiment with it, it's hard to one up your game. Yeah, that's true. Well, and actually, uh, going back to a different movie on the list, kind of on that point, uh, that was what George Lucas actually did when he made Star Wars. And, you know, I always found it so odd that he started in the middle of that trilogy. But almost to your point, it's it's almost tragic that he had this movie in the middle of this huge plot line um, and it got squandered on the prequels and this most recent series, even though he had this grand scheme for this large movie uh, series that could have played out what, really well. What was the one that came, the, the new one that came just before A New Hope in the timeline? Oh, the, the one-off, Rogue One? Not Rogue One, no, no, no. The one that literally led up to the battle. Oh, Revenge of the, of the like, Sith. Crap, you know, the, was Revenge no, I, of the I, Sith? I think it's Rogue One. So you're talking about the one where literally they escape with the Death Star plans handed to Princess Leia and they're off? Ah, uh, anyway. If you're talking, it's I thought a that one was really trap. good. That's, that was my only point. It's a trap is, is, is Return of the Jedi, my friend. <laughs> was it Return of the Jedi? Okay, so then I all right, then I, I'm I'm like so out of out of touch on my Star Wars. I was, I was embittered, again. I guess you could say. You're gonna have to watch these. I, I again. just can't. No. <laughs> I I have to watch them again. But Mandalorian redeemed the series. I will watch them again. Yes. For yes. On, on matter of principle. Um getting back to Jurassic Park though, um one of the things that they really did on that movie that really did change the industry is that was right when um CGI within movies was really starting to to be a viable thing and they uh they really pushed the boundaries there with it with what the technology was able to do because they had done some i think terminator 2 had some had a fair amount of computer graphics and they used the same team that was from that movie um but they were actually they had actually started making some of the scenes as stop motion claymation basically and they were going to use the the old school just like move move the dinosaurs just a little bit take another picture and do that through the whole thing and that was going to be the way that they did the did basically the whole movie but then in early production they they shifted over and decided to go with the computer graphics And, and what i find amazing there is some of the some of the graphics in that movie the cgi portions of it still look better than a lot of the the CGI that's put out today. Just the way that things move or like the lighting. Uh, maybe it's because they kept everything dark in those scenes. I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, I think there's... Yeah, they did, they did... They gave your eye just enough to understand what was going on, but not so much that you could like fully absorb it, I think. And, and then there was a lot of scenes that moved so fast. They just, the, the strobe, so it's like a shock shock to your like system of like, mm-hmm. you know, the eyeball, the, you know, the velocity, you know, the velociraptor. You knew those giant teeth were going to get someone or you if you were in that movie. So yeah. Um, yeah. like it, it was believable enough. Yeah. And the animatronics of that were absolutely incredible. Yes. Um, and it yes. was at that cusp of like computers were getting fast enough. Like, I feel like, honestly, like, if I were to think of, like, what movies absolutely transformed computer graphics and just animation in there. I'm thinking, like, Lord of the Rings was a Weta Studios. Uh, yeah. dude was, like, huge on that. 
um, Star Wars, you know, for, for its time. Uh, even Independence Day, they did like the whole giant, like they lit the board on fire of yeah. the city. I think they held it vertically and just <laughs> like yep. that. And that's what they filmed, right? Like, was, mm-hmm. um, uh, which also was an inspiration for how I nearly burned my parents' house down as a kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. We were making a video and uh, we got a, a couple of gallons of things, kerosene or whatever it was. And, you know, we had the camera set up and we get things going. My buddy Richard actually knocks over the uh, the kerosene onto our board that we had set up that we we're going to light, you know, for a project. And I calmly go inside the house and go, Hey, mom, do you know, um, do you know where the fire extinguisher is? Oh <laughs> as calm as you can so as to not raise the alarm. But uh, obviously, oh my, my mom, you know, picked up real quick on that she comes outside with the fire extinguisher she goes to spray it flames about like uh, the deck was a two-story deck so i guess about like 18 feet high went whoosh, like that oh you know? my and, gosh um, she goes and sprays the fire extinguisher goes just kind of piddles out like it, it was like way past expiration or something so the fire extinguisher is non-functional and then uh yeah anyways no harm no foul the black the deck was a bit singed and we had the hose ready but it was uh um yeah anyways he Sounds like a great say, project. Richard wasn't allowed to hang out with us for a little yeah. while. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great project. A solid, yeah. Great I was project. movies a little bit as a kid. It was a lot of fun. But yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to warn you. I saw, I saw your kid's Star Wars movie and, you know, just, just beware when they start getting into visual effects. If you don't yes. teach them computers, they will. Explosions are fun. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, what's your number two? Uh, the Matrix, the first one. And okay. only the first one. Okay. That's a yeah. really good one. <laughs> yeah. So here's what I liked about it. The concept, I've always like, I love learning things. I don't like the amount of time it takes to learn things. And so the scene where, you know, he gets the spike of knowledge, basically, I'm going to call that the, the brain computer interface jabbed in the back of his head um, is incredible like the very concept i mean just everything about that movie of like they're living in a simulation the, the age-old question of you know are we real or are we living in a giant simulation yeah, what Wachowski is brothers like yeah right what what is reality you know um i think that was absolutely incredibly done at every level uh it was up there like with inception in that same sense of i feel like inception was really kind of inspired from that of like Mm-hmm. there's this whole other layer that you're you're existing within i mean the dilemma of ever advancing ai of course as the, the series evolves um in there and like how do you deal with this like epic you know I, there's so many questions that come up within advancing ai like like if we get to generalized ai super intelligence like it'll ha- I, I anticipate if it happens it'll happen quick and everything that was will all of a sudden feel foreign that that's my anticipation. Like, like there's mm-hmm. just so much like societal level change that would happen there. It could be incredibly beneficial. It could be incredibly dangerous, but it, it's a super cool concept. So I think the matrix pulled that off. And then just to, I think they use what the, the robots were harvesting humans as energy. Like, I mean, how much more terrifying of an idea of like you're living this happy simulation and then you're you know your cattle basically yes like is yeah it's bat- just totally battery yeah well and yeah. like and then that i mean really and that question of you know what is real you know is it is it what's around you or is it the you know electrons that are firing in your brain it's like sometimes that yeah. question in just consciousness like, like or or that like 
I remember like medically, like if you, um, I got an endoscopy done a while ago and it was like one of those things, like they put you on what fentanyl and Versed, it puts your brain in read only mode. And it's the, like the weirdest thing you wake up and like, I was having a conversation with my wife and you know, I we're driving home, whatever. And then I wake up and I'm like, Hey, where, where are you at? She's like, I already told you I'm hanging out with a friend. I'm like, no, you didn't. You didn't tell me that. That's not true. Like, and like <laughs> complete read only mode. Right. And so like the fact that like, you know, we have like generalized anesthesia that we have these like things and just, you know, inject the right chemicals into someone and their experience is completely altered. Like, yeah, I don't know, like consciousness, crazy, so much, so much to learn in that area. I feel very ignorant on this topic. So, um, but it is one of those like weird things of like, or I remember when I got my wisdom teeth pulled, like that feeling of all of a sudden, like you wake up and time has continued but your perception of like this moment and this moment are instantly stuck together, but you collapsed. know, like this yeah. multi hour period has been collapsed into one. So yeah. Anyways, like I love time travel movies, things like that because of like these type of like the feelings of like, yeah, you just like you're under anesthesia or something like that. And then you wake up and time has continued on, but your mental state was like frozen at, at a point in time. It's, it's crazy. Good stuff. Well, uh, yeah, I think we should talk about this more because my number one movie is The Matrix. <laughs> oh, number one. Oh, well, now again, now my, my cheat here, this is my cheat because my number one is Star Trek as a, as a series, as a complete context. Oh, man. They do everything. They do everything. And it is, it is science fiction perfection, full stop. Okay. Star Trek. So Star Trek, if yeah. you were going to pick one of them since, yeah, because Star Trek is such a big thing. Like it's been around for so yeah. long. It's been done well in many ways. Um, what was your favorite series and what was your favorite show or a uh, movie? Okay, I'm sorry. So, what was your favorite series and what was your favorite movie? Oh, uh, it's tough. I, I know, like, okay, so there's like so many versions of it. Cause you got like, you got okay, Kirk, fine. You my got favorite Picard, TV series you got at the, the new moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My favorite TV series at the moment was Picard because watching Picard and seeing all these actors now that they're like mid to late life and like seeing them when they're originally on the TV, like they've aged, the stories moved on, the society's moved on, but it feels completely intact. Like I, I love that series. I think Picard my, that's definitely my most favorite one. Discovery, I'm I'm binging it right now. I'm on season three of that. Um, it's good. It, the, the the threads feel like they're a little bit pulled, and I'm I I'm not sure how they're going to resolve this whole like. I haven't. You watched don't any of it, fart so. around with the timelines, like you just don't. And like I'm not sure how they're going to resolve this. This is this huge ethical problem that I'm at, which is like okay, they've traveled forward in time to prevent the super intelligent AI from destroying all known life because that's what the AI believes is the only way to fix things, basically, is that the problem is living things are not perfect, so therefore they need to be destroyed. Um, just a great concept. And then, um, so they travel forward in time, but by doing so, they've preserved the universe, but the universe didn't, continue on what they viewed as the ideal path like the federation ideals and so how does this how now, does this work with the prime directive <laughs> well, right that's the thing right there's the, the prime directive there's the like 
there's so many different aspects to this. And then two, much of society is post-warp, but all the dilithium has been blown up. And so no one can really do faster than light travel, or at least it's now substantially more expensive and complex to do so. And the Federation's completely fallen apart. So do they travel back in time just enough where the AI threat's no longer a threat? The warp thing disaster hasn't happen or do they cause it all and inevitably i'm sure they're going to have been the cause of millions of people's deaths in this great explosion i'm sure that's what's going to happen but hmm. i guess I'll, I'll soon find out so okay um greatest movie honestly i think the, the more recent movies that they did um were really solid they developed the character spock well um and they made the series not so nerdy um that like non-sci-fi folks could enjoy it which i think is always cool when you're able to have a good movie that the fans enjoy, and yet you're also able to introduce a new audience. I think the new Star Trek movies did that effectively. Yeah, I really like. But again, the, those are like uh, a series of movies, so yeah, that's not just one movie. I mean, so the Star Trek series in of its. I mean, I know I've watched a lot of TNG, a lot of DS9, a lot of Voyager. Um, I've seen all the movies at least once. Um, the one movie that I that I thought was really interesting was Generations. Um, just from the, mm. like, I, I don't think it was like one of the best movies. Um, but it was a really interesting movie in the way that they were, they really did a good job of like handing off and giving a nod to the original Star Trek and kind of handing off to the next generation as well. And that's something that I'd kind of love to see some kind of a, a tie in and I, I don't even know how you'd do it, but I mean, there's it's it's Star Trek, so I mean, you could make up some, you know, some new wormhole that everybody goes through, and they all end up, you know, in some end game uh, situation, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, which I think would be fun. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I really like that the the Into Darkness, um, Benedict Cumberbatch killed it as Khan. That was, that was so good. Yeah. Um, I loved that, that movie. That was really, really good. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I think that's a solid pick as, as number one. Um, yeah. So, um, how about some runners up? Do you have some runners up on your list? Uh, okay. So let's see here. I wrote Inception on here. I'm not sure if we really talked about that one as one of my top ones. I pulled that out and yeah, I, I pulled that out. Baseballs. I, I, I pulled out Inception as well, um, mostly because uh, I feel like it's almost a second version of The Matrix. And you touched on that. Yeah, um, I agree. I, so I totally and that's agree. why I was kind of like, eh, like, it's, it's an amazing just, movie. Like, it is. It, it, it was, is. It was fantastic, especially watching it the first time. It was like, holy cow, this is just. I mean, Christopher Nolan does an amazing job with movies, which you still need to come over and watch Tenet at some point here. That's um, true. Yeah, yeah, but, I absolutely uh, do. Yeah, Inception, Inception was on my honorable mentions as well. So, Yeah, I, I think to Inception, I would almost put it in, uh, what was that one movie? I just watched it recently. Um, it was kind of like a critique on drug abuse. and You weren't sure if like he was living as a drug addict or if he was not. Um uh it'll come back to me later when it was but i almost feel like inception in the same sense is a is a social critique on these people would go into inception and 
they would live their life in the dream because the dream is more enjoyable than reality. Then mm. that's the critique on society that I think we have, which is that um, people who are seeking to live life through either alcohol or drug abuse are choosing that because it's more enjoyable than the reality that they're currently living in. And I think Inception, while it wasn't directly a critique on that, it's that concept there that people are like, they go into this dream state because it's better, more fun, a better reality than the actual reality that they're living. Well, so. maybe you could even take that to like, especially with the, this COVID stuff this last year of it being like the internet. You can spend so much time just hanging out on Twitter that you forget to to go outside and, you know, take a walk in the sun and go sit down in the grass and just listen to the birds or something, you know, so, something where you're just, you're kind of detached from reality because of this, this new technology, you know, kind of, kind of along the lines yep. of that movie there where you're just completely disconnected. Yeah. In the movie that I was saying was with bliss with uh, Owen Wilson in there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that the, yeah, that was the one. one. Um, yeah, that was the one that I was kind of thinking. It's not direct, like, I mean, yes, it's sci-fi in that sense, but it's following that same critique of just like, you know, he's, he's having to make this hard decision between one of two realities. And as the audience, you're kind of, you're trying to figure out what's going on, what's real, what's not. They set up a lot of um, uh, the, the imagery in advance where you're just like, Oh yeah, there's the drug abuse clinic. That's weird. And then like later then he ends up going and walk, you know, like that, that all those kind of things in there where it's like that um it's almost like a train spotting in a sense. That was a more of a heroin movie, but like uh those those type of things about like that dilemma. Mm -hmm. Um so one of the ones that I had on my runner up um was Arrival. Um that one is yeah. by and large one of my favorite movies actually, but I feel like it's kind of like how Inception is to the Matrix. Arrival is kind of to Contact. Um, yep. Admittedly, though, the the fun twist with with Arrival and the way that you know language changes your perception of time, um, like that whole thing is is such a cool concept. Um, that I, you know, it's, it was hard to not put it on my top five. So <laughs> I really liked it. So fair enough. Um, do you have any more on, on your runner up list or is that, do you, is that no, it? No, I didn't write any down while I was, while I was thinking about top sci-fi okay. movies. That so the, another couple that. that I have on, um, is the Blade Runner movies. Um, okay. have you seen those? Have I seen, I've seen, I, I saw one a long time ago, so I'm okay. not like my memory is not fresh on Blade Runner. So the second one um, is, I think, one of the best sequels. I don't know. I'm trying to think of other like there's there's like Empire, there's Judgment Day. Um, but as far as sequels, it's one of the best sequels in my mind, the, the Blade Runner 2049, we should, we should watch it at some point, but I think what made those movies so good and really developed their following is the amount of, um, the amount of questions they don't answer in the movie because so much of it is left open-ended. And if, if you haven't seen it in a long time, you know, there's a lot of details there that might not, um, hit your memory banks, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think, think that's part of it. that's part of what makes uh, of what I think makes a 
a really interesting sci-fi movie is is putting out all this really incredible content but then not answering all the questions and leaving a lot open to the open to the audience because you know kind of like with coherence what yeah. movie have we talked about more than coherence because we i mean we talked about that for probably a couple weeks <laughs> yeah well, it, it, was, it was such a good one like it was like and i i like that one it was just like it's like wait what about I wonder about this. And then like it, it brought in, I mean, there's so much to alert, right? Like I don't want to give away too many points. If somebody hasn't seen coherence, you need to see coherence. I mean, that's the yeah. bottom line. Yeah, that I mean, one the, was great. So the, I remember seeing it on a lot of lists. Cause I, I like, um, picking away at uh, underrated sci-fi movies. Um, and I saw that one so many times. It was like strange things happen at a dinner party. And that's about all that it says. Yeah, and it's like, that great sci-fi so feast. This sounds terrible. Sounds like, so <laughs> lame. And then, like halfway through the movie, when like I picked up what was going on, it was like, "Oh my gosh, this is really yeah. interesting." <laughs> <laughs> and then it just keeps going down the rabbit hole, and it's like, "Oh, this is awesome!" So yeah, yeah. that one was that one was really fun. Yeah, um, and that, that almost fits into the category of sci-fi horror as well. Yes, um, I actually I did not pick up on that but when uh, some of my other um, I had there, there were a couple people in my family that watched it as well and we talked about it afterwards and it was it was like yeah that was a really scary movie and I was like I didn't pick up on that at all like when I think of horror I think of like the ring or alien or something like this sure. where you know it's it's jump it's scary but like there there's definitely a, an aspect to horror movies that is just purely mental that like it's kind of like a splinter in your mind to call in, you know, the matrix yeah. there. But um, that one, that one did a great job of that. Um, they did. And I like that too, they had some ethical choices to be made of like, are you the good person or are you the bad person? Are you going to pursue the better life? What, you know, well, like, there, like, just like, well, and like at the end, like I'll try not to give away too much here, but like at the end where, you know, the main character, she's, she's essentially roaming around and it's like, you almost like, is she the bad person? But then you're seeing it from the bad person's perspective and you're like, just because it's a bad person doesn't mean it's the worst person. And they're like, you, there, there is some empathy to right. be felt yeah. for it's the person who just wants to live in a better universe or whatever you want to call it and live in a better world. And, uh, yeah. It was incredibly interesting because you're like, oh yeah, we're, obviously that we're we're following the good people, and it's like, were we? <laughs> it's like, it's, it's so it's it's so good. Um, the one last one I did want to talk about, and that and uh, is uh, Ex Machina. Have you seen that one? I have not. With Oscar Isaac and uh, has mm -hmm. a lot to do with. It's the, on my it's on my list of movies to watch. I keep seeing it show up again, like what you're talking about, lists of oh, like cop sci-fi movies yeah. that you love. It's it's on there, and I'm like, oh, that that one actually looks pretty good. That one, um, that one is uh, you know the Turing test, where mm -hmm. you you know basically see if if you can pass um, pass off a robot as a yeah, human. Yeah, you got to click which one's the boat in the in the picture. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's a whole movie built around that concept um and it was it was really it's it's one of those ones that it's uh it doesn't give you as much of a as much of a mind warp as like coherence but there's still definitely an aspect of it where you're just kind of like thinking about it afterwards and you're like oh man that's 
Uh, <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's it's a really great take on on AI, the Turing test, and all of that. So yeah, um, we'll have to sit down and watch that one too because that one is that one's really good. But yeah, uh, but yeah. Um, so if you were gonna write a sci-fi movie for the last year and what what's going on in the world right now, what kind of a what kind of a sci-fi movie? Would you write? Did, because th- th- there's basically. You... Go ahead. Oh, well, okay. Did you see? I think it was was it Brad Pitt in the pandemic? I think the movie was literally called Pandemic. Brad Pitt. Uh... Yeah. Uh, what was it called? Uh, it wasn't. It was it Brad Pitt. Contagion. The Contagion. Who is in Contagion? I don't think I've seen that one. Okay, so you need to watch Contagion. I watched this. It, Amber absolutely hated this movie. And I loved it. So my buddy Donnie and I watched this movie and it was a movie based off of Mer- I think the MERS virus, one of the three oh. coronaviruses that have caused epidemics. And what is so on point about this movie is it confronts the problem of misinformation, disinformation, distrust of government, how things are being handled. No one wants to be responsible for the thing. There's good people fighting it. Um, this is the movie. This is the prequel to twenty, the year 2020 and 2021. Wow. Like that movie was so on point in so many ways. So if I were to make a movie about this year, that's the movie I would have made. <laughs> this would be the prequel? Contagion. <laughs> this is This is the prequel. And then... Um, then I would build a Star Trek, hopey, happy, let's make the world a better pace, place movie, kind of like the rebuilding of the world after the zombies have come and kind of taken over type of, you know, like level of problem or pandemic in this case here. Interesting. Because um, I'd do that because you need to have a, you need to have a, you know, the kumbaya moment and everyone comes together trying to make things better. So. Yeah, I don't know. I have a, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like the whole... Man, this yeah, this one looks interesting. Um, the whole like Big Brother aspect um, is is something that I feel like, and, and maybe it's in this movie that you're already referencing. I'll have to take a look at it. Um, but the whole Big Brother aspect and of you know security versus um, freedom and that kind of stuff is, I feel, a really big big piece of this. Um, I don't know exactly how you would how you would write a sci-fi movie um, based on that, but the, you know those are definitely some of the the issues that I think would would be good to include in a movie like that. Um, just with the way that I mean, I feel like after nine eleven, that was kind of the last time something really big happened in our country kind of like this i mean there's been others okay put it this way i'm leading to something and and so i might be making statements that lead me to that and uh, and i'm missing something here but after after september 11th there were so many you know patriot acts and um information information acts that were passed and they just blew through Congress, and it was, you know, never never let a good tragedy go to waste. 
um, when it comes to, <laughs> you know, the government making laws for you. And I feel like only now, very recently, you know, when I um, started looking into Snowden, um, mm-hmm. was seeing how how incredibly intrusive the government has gotten with all of these, you know, these here cell phones that everyone's got at least one of in their pocket these days. Um, you know, when I'm at work, I've got yeah. two of them. Um, I was very, I was very hesitant. I, I finally broke down and got the kids the the Google Homes, right? One mm-hmm. one for our youngest, one for our oldest. And it's like, which actually I find that experience incredibly frustrating. We're about to go back to CD players because um, while the device, we'll, we'll get back to the Snowden and mm-hmm. all that comment here, but I just want to provide a commentary on the, the, our experience of using Google Home. So if you <laughs> yeah. want to use an engineer, it's Google, a couch, it's a account management. There, please right? make this a better experience. Um, but Google Home, okay. So if you're like, okay, Google, play whatever on Spotify, um, it you know links up to my Spotify account on the Google uh, account that the person you know based on voice recognition is playing it. And then if I go into my daughter's room and say, okay, Google, do this. Well, guess what happens? The two-year-old Emmett loses out on the Spotify because it transitions, you know, whatever I was playing there and it yanks away his story. So like the bedtime routine is very much, so I ended up having to create like a full adult Spotify account. Another problem here, I had to create the adult Spotify account for Sophia so she can tell Google to play what she wants to play, but I don't necessarily want her having access to Tupac and all that kind of, you know, there's foul <laughs> mouth music too. Yeah. Um, or which could just be randomly thrown into the playlist or whatever. And it's like, yeah, sure, you can turn off explicit, whatever. But um, yeah, anyways, it's these devices are trying to be more intelligent than they should. Like I want to be able to just specify at the device level, this device is pinned to this Google account, regardless of whose voice you hear it, you know, yeah. and this one's pinned to that device. And that way it just works. But no, it's, it has to be more complicated. So yeah, uh, the microphone's everywhere. And we also saw that with, uh, was it the Samsung or was it the Sony TVs? Uh, that was leaked a while ago too, that their microphones were always on and always transmitting. I haven't heard that um, one. What, so like yeah, there was, was a uh, 2016 maybe, like it was, it was quite oh. a while ago um, okay. that there was like secure, security vulnerabilities with the devices microphones were always on transmitting to maybe their manufacturer, maybe some malicious third party who just happened to, you know, be pulling, you know, sniffing the network for the vulnerable devices or whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a big, it's a big problem, right? Then two, at a personal consumer level, like how many people are changing their default username, their admin password on their Wi-Fi router at home, right? They install the thing, ISP gives it to them. They just keep it on defaults and they just look on the back, print out of whatever the sticker is for their random Wi-Fi password. But yep. have they changed the admin credentials? Probably not. So yeah. like, I can't imagine how many local networks are under constant surveillance or being snooped, you know, either due to obvious misconfiguration problems or zero day vulnerabilities or just maybe a 300 on something that was never updated because who's going to remember to update their Wi-Fi routers firmware? Yeah. You know, but it's like, yeah, I mean, people understanding the technology that they're using. That's, I mean, even I don't understand a lot of the stuff that I'm using to the extent that I probably should. Um, You know, I do have those, those, passwords and whatnot you you mentioned like 
locked down pretty well on all of my devices. Um, but I know that there's, you know, there's plenty that aren't, and it's pretty easy to, to snoop around on those. Well, I'm assuming it is. I haven't actually looked into it, but if you're not going to change your password, you're going to make it pretty simple. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like the, the concern on kind of getting back to why I brought up nine eleven is, is, you know, you had a situation where the world went through a pretty traumatic, a very traumatic event, I should say. And there were a lot of laws that were passed to enable security. And here we are with this coronavirus relief bills. And there's so much stuff that, you know, a lot of, you know, the, the media and the politicians, they'll make the, they'll make the, the bills about what they want it to be about. But really there's so many little pieces of legislation that are attached to that. I mean, a perfect example one that i'm actually quite excited about is the fact that um and actually the 90 days is probably up but there there was something in one of the bills where after 90 days the government has to release all their unclassified files on ufos (laughs) (laughs) yeah um once uh you know once this bill is passed and so i mean you're getting you're getting a stimulus check and you're going to get your alien information in 90 days um that's right but you know, there's a lot more, uh, probably far more sinister. Uh, you know, closer to along the lines of what we saw with like Patriot Act and all the observation that's probably thrown in there. That well, yeah, and there's other like support, you know budgets that just cares. yeah, it'll it'll be passed by a wink and nod and a handshake. I mean, was it Nancy Pelosi? Um, a lot of people's you know left leaning superhero is like one of the big sponsors of Patriot Act and continuing supporting that system of extreme, an extreme version of government oversight that like generally speaking, the United States has been the global good guy. Um, When it comes to policing democracy and maximizing freedom for individuals like generally speaking we're pretty good there are a lot of whoopsies that occur or bad military calls or otherwise that also put us in the position of you know not necessarily being the good guys as well so i think you know and that's the hard part is like okay i remember like okay we have military authorization to use our drones to shoot someone in a foreign country, but we don't have the authorization to shoot a terrorist in our own country. And I think that's good that we don't have the authorization to do it in our own country. But if we think that person's bad enough based on our own investigation, we can do that in some other country's foreign soil. And like, there are some like real ethical concerns about like how much capability should we have to tinker without more oversight? And like, that's, it's such a, it's an impossible question to answer because it's like, there are military reasons why you need to respond to something today very quickly. And oversight is going to lose the edge. Like if, if, if this something runs through oversight, you're going to lose the opportunity to take out the bad guy. Like just plain and simple. That, that is just what will happen. 
So you sound like uh, you sound like Captain America in that uh, movie, uh, civil the Civil War MCU movie. You know, yeah, <laughs> the safest it's, hands and, and are still our own. It's like I want to believe <laughs> that we're the good guys, and in a lot of times I think we are. But I also realize that this is a social, economic, military organization that's ultimately led by fallible humans, and you hope that the good outweighs the bad. And it's like it's a very precarious feeling to be in. It's like. Well, and it's hard too when you, I mean, let's say we're, we go in and try and do the good thing and we give these people freedom. Well, if that culture isn't ready, you know, if, if there's a, an instant power vacuum, if that freedom creates an instant power vacuum, then that just creates Yeah, you just chaos. replace one warlord with another. I mean, well, installation of Saddam Hussein yeah. had unintended consequences, you yeah. know? We have had a number of CIA-led operations in South America that have had <laughs> unintended consequences. When we have these like economic hitmen involved to like move things to our leanings. Yeah, sure. Sometimes, you know, most of the time, let's say it works out in our favor, but sometimes things don't work out in the favor of the locals who, you know, you're trying to get rid of one bad guy, but maybe you've, um, you know, we've taken on the Mayan is there the Aztec concept of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, Maybe they are today, but long term they might not be. So, yeah, um, yeah. That and have have you seen? Um, I think it was Oliver Stone who who made it. Uh, the Untold History of the United States or of the U.S. I have not I seen that one. No, that's an interesting one because it it takes it takes a step back from America being the good guy all the time, and. You know, it, it doesn't paint us in an incredibly, it's not incredibly positive. It's not incredibly negative either. It's it's just a little bit more of a realistic look and points out the fact that, you know, af, basically, you know, hindsight in these situations is always very helpful for filmmakers who want to critique, um, <laughs> but uh, paints a lot of the decisions made a lot more on uh, probably p- political ambitions and personal personal vendettas, maybe or, or anything personal politics, than it should have been at the time. Um, so it, it was an interesting watch uh, because mm. you know it it, it so made. So they made it, this into a movie here as well, huh? Or, or I don't it, know if it was... it's a movie. Um, Oliver Stone's made made quite a few um, pretty great movies kind of tackling. Yeah, okay, so I'm looking this up on on here and I also see there's an audiobook as well. There's a companion book that goes along with it. Yeah, but I mean like one of the the like the the simple simple examples would be uh, World War II. And, you know, who who won World War II? Well, you know, we like to, you know, maybe the the Battle of Britain was a big thing, but you know, us storming the beach and then taking taking the fight to the Nazis was, was big. And then it was the atom bomb that really kind of ended, ended everything. But his take was a lot more that it was actually, I think it was Stalingrad. Um, but basically the, the Russians who actually won world war two for the world as a whole, um, just because of, and you know, a lot of that came from at the time, what was Hitler's worst, 
decision he ever made from a strategic standpoint. That's when he moved north, right? Up. Well, he opened a second front. He, you know, he'd yeah. been basically playing nice with the Russians for a long time. And then right before, right before winter was like, yeah, screw you guys. I'm going to attack you too. Cause I'm so powerful. And yeah. it ended very poorly for, uh, millions of people. Um, it was, it wasn't good. Um, but you know, that decision led to essentially, um, the Russians being able to knock out so much of the forces of, of the Nazis that, it changed yeah. the course of the war. Um, and, you know. Well, you send a bunch of people up into icy terrain. Um, one, that's difficult terrain to be in on a good day just as a hiker. But if you're not able to get constant supplies at a very fast rate efficiently, or if the trains break down or any any supply chain malfunction occurs, like you're in a rough spot. So. Yeah, I like the movie. It was 1917, the World War One movie. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that. You said it was really good. It was really good. It felt like the way they directed it is it feels like it's all one single movement. So the way they a do the cuts take. and stuff, it feels like there's no cuts. Like it's a continuous so stream. That's that is a that is a th- um I look I started getting interested in that once about like single takes because uh I got turned on to that um idea in the Daredevil series where there's a couple of the scene the these hallway fight scenes where it's like three or four minutes and it's pure action and it's people literally like running, jumping, kicking, punching, and they're like swapping out stunt doubles, like just with really clever takes. But um, I'd heard that about 1917, that it was intended to basically be a single take the whole time, which makes it a really interesting, you know, really different movie. Because yeah. a lot of times you you go for the single take and it's like, oh, my gosh, it's a five minute single take. Like there was one in Children of Men, uh, which was a really interesting movie. But it, they had like buildings blowing up, hundreds of extras, and it was all a single take that lasted like five minutes. It was impressive. But yeah. um, that hearing that about 1917 makes me makes me want to watch it. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch it with you. I was planning on buying it just because I, I really enjoyed it. It's a, oh, wow. it's, a bit okay. gr- it's a bit gruesome, but I was planning on buying it. I don't buy well, it. it's a war movie. Stuff. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so going back to, you know, it's so interesting about the whole coronavirus pandemic that we're in right now, coupled with combining like the concept of government oversight or perhaps a more autocratic style of rule is that if you were to pick a virus that's like the most um, – dangerous virus to a free democracy it would be the coronavirus like in the way it's set the way it behaves is like as americans we don't want to put on our mask we don't we don't don't we like our government shouldn't be telling us to do what we should be doing like america you, know, you want us to comply like seriously like what is this like i'm not yeah. you know and like i think that's the the challenge here is that like if you're to pick like a way to break apart the union it's all of a sudden to have the union have to work together on one thing, you know, yeah, well, um, get everyone I mean, on the same page. We, po- we politicize things way too easily. Uh, there, there was a lot about this pandemic that should not have been politicized. And I think some of that, you know, was going to happen regardless of who was on office. But I think with Trump in office, it made it, you know, everybody's tensions were a lot higher than they usually would be and made it a lot yeah. more challenging. Yeah, I mean, like you would have no matter what had the anti-vaxxers. I mean, you're always going to have a small percentage of the population right. that falls into that camp. You're always going to have the 
conspiracy theorists that are going to, you know, say, oh, this for sure came from a lab in China. You're always going to have like these um, fringes of society in there. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an incredibly challenging problem that we have right now. Right. And then now too, like, right. It's, it's spread enough that there's enough mutations out there that, you know, evolution's taking, taking its course on this. And yeah. unfortunately there's a lot of variants in, in, in this. And hopefully, you know, we can get the vaccines, you know, out fast enough into arms that, you yeah, know, the next so variant far- that comes out. So far, all the vaccines seems to seem to be dealing with the variants fairly well from what I've from what I've seen. I know that there's some that are, you know, some more potent strains, but I haven't heard about any that have fully gotten around the vaccines that have been developed yet, which is good because you get that. And then we're, we're back to we're back to square one almost. We're back to the start of 2020. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um. I was doing some uh, research here. You you had a comment on on our on our original thing, which was like, should we talk about the Chinese lab hypothesis? And I found it absolutely fascinating. That this is Doctor Redfield. You know, I think he's former Doctor Redfield, or I mean, well, he's he's former doctor, former yeah, director of the CDC. Yeah. yeah, yeah, former head of the CDC. Still pushing this Chinese lab hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, I haven't seen evidence out there that's compelling to me that it did come from there. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I think the I think the question that's being raised isn't necessarily like, but the, the the hard part is it's all going through the Chinese government, and so um, they they like to keep keep things very much on the wraps. And I mean, if if you want to talk about a big brother taking this back to a sci-fi movie that you're creating, <laughs> um, the Chinese government would be the big brother because, I mean, th- they want to be the world power by yeah. 2050 or whatever it is. They want to be the new U.S., and they're doing it um, through a lot of controlling their people. And so, you know, the 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 question is whether or not those, those WHO investigators had enough access to enough information to really be able to assess this and the fact that the lab leak hypothesis is just being brushed under the rug and not given any analysis you know there's a there's a lot of i think there's a lot of people who are who are not, aren't are they are not saying they think the lab leak is the likely cause but just that it should be more fully investigated um, yeah but if you were going to go full sci-fi Taking it back to sci-fi movies here, <laughs> you could say that what the Chinese government is doing is because I mean they're they're spying on the world. They just released this this virus. You know, maybe they're cooking up some virus that they can release to the whole world, um, and they're the only ones with the antidote. You know, that would be that would be an interesting. Um, I don't know what kind of a movie that would be. That'd be a bit sci-fi. A sci-fi and dystopian future, I suppose. But, uh, but yeah, it's 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 difficult um, to to be able to say this definitely had you know this definitely came from animals or bats or uh, or, or any other of those um, theories. You know, some of the uh, some of the the food farms, the the wildlife food farms that 
that China was was using and then instantly shut down, which, you know, if there's a part of me that sees that as, oh, they shut these farms down. So even if it did come from one of those farms, now we'll never know because they just killed all their, you know, raccoon dogs or whatever they've got going on there. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was doing a little bit of research leading up to this because I have a passing interest in bioinformatics. If I were to pick an alternative career that I would pursue, or maybe as a second, second major career push later on in life, I might go back to go get like a pursue a PhD or something in bioinformatics. That could be pretty mm-hmm. interesting. So I, I got a, I pulled up an art, uh, a research paper. This is from the European review for medical and pharmacological sciences. That sounds on... really impressive. I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so if you allow screen sharing for the sake of, for the sake of this here. Um, and then I also tried to replicate uh, the paper's results in here. So on I'm, this, pl- I'm planning on putting this on YouTube. So I don't know about screen sharing. So okay, well, we'll, we'll just there's only like one chart in here, so I can I can do a okay. I'll zoom it in, and then it, the resolution should be okay. Okay. And then and then we can reference the appropriate materials too, because that's okay. the then people can poke at it on their own and have fun. So. <laughs> well, we'll need um, to describe this because this is primarily a podcast, Jack. So okay. We need to make sure so, that we're describing it well. Yeah, sounds <laughs> good. So on April thirteenth. 2021, the same person is redoing this lecture on bioinformatics. What was that? Yeah, this is coming up again. So I already, I watched it once on a previous version, but they've got another one coming up here in a little little bit here, but you can find it on O'Reilly's learning. So I I pay for that because I I do like a lot of, you know, being able to pay monthly for a bunch of computer science books is a lot cheaper than buying the $60, $70 books every time you need like one paragraph in something interesting. So um, but this person here, Janani Rangarajan, so apologies if I mispronounce, but, <laughs> uh, she was heading up a introduction about informatics and what, uh, what that was, one sec here, um, da-da-da. um, I get a phone call there. Uh, what what she did was she went through the genetic sequence and find similarity of SARS-CoV-2 against a variety of known coronaviruses across like bats, pangolins, uh, human ones. Um, there are like eight different like known ones that are like natural in the world that all mm-hmm. infect humans. Is a genetic sequence comparison, and then also the lab made coronaviruses. So, Mm. um, and in there, basically I'm going to, I'm going to really shortly summarize this because I am not at all an expert in this, but (laughs) the rat G13 bat coronavirus, um, which you can look up on there on the gene bank and through the NCBIs, um, you can like use their tools to like, here's like, you look up these different viruses by their accession number, or you can actually paste in the the DNA base base pairs, if you want, like the A's, the T's, the C's, and the G's, the full mm-hmm. sequence of it. Since that's all public and globally available, anyways, the rat G thirteen bat coronavirus is ninety six point twelve percent aligned with SARS CoV two, and only like it looked like there are two sections. So when I ran this here, can I hit the screen share button? Yeah. Uh, it says host has disabled it here. I did. 
I didn't know uh, I did that. You just have, you have to, yeah, I guess I have to click the enable button. Anyways, I'll keep, I'll keep yakking while you're hunting for that. Um, anyway, so 96.12% identity is what they call that with this rat G13 bat COVID virus um, versus the artificial ones out there. I think the closest one that they ran uh, was 82% similar, which is this other one. I'm sorry, 82% from a lab? a handful of other artificial ones, they, they were, what was that? 82% from a lab, is that what you're saying? Yeah, from a lab. The closest one was 82% identical sequences, because what they do with the lab ones is they'll like you, cut and paste, and they're kind of like proprietary viruses they use for testing different things. Do you know which but, lab? Because because this one says U.S. 2017. Yeah, it's it's like it's um, there's just like a sequence uh, identifier that they have in here, Hmm. and they they list it as whether it's an artificial one. But like a lot of these companies will use these different artificial viruses for whatever testing they need to do or research. So, well, I ask because the like a a lot of the and and you should be able to share now. Um, The concern is that the investigators weren't able to look at the actual content of what was going on in that lab. Um, and wow, that's a lot of really small numbers. Yeah, really, really small numbers, right? Yeah. So I'm going to pull up the blast thing where I actually did, I plugged in <laughs> the accession numbers. Um, mm-hmm. So it's actually pretty cool. You can run a, a test in here. But anyways, and then I p- pasted in this virus here, which was one of them, and the the artificial ones, and this other chimeric one. Artificial oh, okay, one. I see what you're saying up at the top there. Yeah, but anyways, percent identical is like referring to like if you're looking at the way these sequences line up in here, mm-hmm. it's like um, this one here is like if you look at red means there are more than 200 base pairs that align up perfectly. And then there's a couple of others where there's like a break right here where like they would introduce, you know, where there's like substantial mutations that would occur basically. And like, if you're looking at these different alignments and stuff, it's like, you know, here's SARS-CoV-2 in this one particular section of it, you know, Mm -hmm. everything lines up basically. And then when there's a difference, they'll point it out here, like this one here, there's two T's versus two C's here. So, um, you know, the, the thiamine, or, you know, gets the two thymines get switched with two cytosines or, or otherwise. So mm-hmm. um, I thought it was pretty cool though, like that. I mean, so it, what's amazing about technology these days is our National Institute of Health provides these as free resources that, you know, just an average Joe like me can plug in these different things. And I guess you Look could say like, it. at least reasonably disprove that like known lab, known lab ones like this one here, are 20% dissimilar. And like, I think the the length right here is like 29,855 base pairs for the Wuhan identified coronavirus. Mm. So. Okay. Um, so anyways, I thought that was super cool. You can like yeah. just look all that up and. Yeah. Um, the anyway, internet, so this man. paper here, I'll just provide it up here is uh, this, this is the title of it. Um, and that that's where it's, it's from, but yeah. So this paper here, T. Dallavilla, M. Bertelli, A. Moresi, V. Bouchardi, L. Stupia. <laughs> yeah, this person here. Good job. I, I, you know, Good job, Jack. Good job trying. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm giving up, but there's a lot of folks involved that they did the research here and basically they're trying to compare and contrast what's known. I think th that was like after um, the media was like pushing this alternative hypothesis of like maybe it came from a lab, but of the known lab ones, they didn't match. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's like, obviously we still have the question of where did this thing come from? How did it come out? I think those are Maybe the future will give us better information, but. Did you see the South Park episode about it? I didn't see the South Park episode and I love South Park too, so. <laughs> I won't give it away, but it's uh, it's worth watching. And apparently I, they have a new uh, vacation special or vaccination special that's a, a sequel to it. Um, I haven't watched that one yet either, but. Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting interesting subject um i don't know it, I, I still feel like there's you know i can't speak definitively on any of it so at this point you know it's all just it's all just interesting um yeah to me so um yeah it's a uh, i don't know it's it's, it's gonna be I'm, interesting I'm to see for it all to be done like i like hanging out oh my gosh friends. i want to get back to just normal like like me and, and the thing too is it's like, I mean, I think there's like some good of it. Like now people are like a little bit more health conscientious. Like if you're, you know, there's people aren't necessarily just going out everywhere. Or at least they're saying like, Hey, my kid's sick before they get together. And you like, no, don't get together with me or yeah, whatever. You know, we're all sharing the same germ, germ circle. Fine. Yeah. You know, at least I think it's a known a risk. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's more like societal, norms introduced that but i do think it's going to be a weird period of transition of like let's say we hit herd immunity let's say we vaccinate everyone a lot of people will still be like i'm not going out or i'm not ugh, people are too close together germ yeah. factory right like yeah, so i think there's gonna be weird. a lot of long-term damage mm -hmm. uh at a societal level but i do think things will get back to normal yeah it'll be weird a for a while because we've i mean it's, it's it's one of those things like man you never thought anyone would be used to everyone wearing a mask and now it's like you walk through the supermarket and it's like yeah no big deal okay fine yeah Everyone's yeah he's wearing a mask you don't even think twice about it and now right now we're gonna have to switch back again to where <laughs> eventually nobody's wearing a mask and you know maybe there's a couple people who are sick and then it's like they wear a mask and it's like oh no yeah why are they wearing right. a mask and yeah. like is is there gonna be like in I think it's Japan. Every like, if, if if somebody over there is sick, they just put a mask on, yeah, and they it's go about their business, and it's just yeah. a courtesy thing. Yeah. But here, after well, yeah. how politicized everything got, it's going to be. Are, are yeah, that's you afraid? A, that's a real bummer. Are you afraid? It's, yeah, it's it's such a bummer because like, had it not gotten politicized, it actually could have been culturally normalized, which is like if you're sick, you wear a mask. No, you're not a weirdo. You're just being polite to your neighbors. And yeah. like in Japan, they had a big scare with SARS-CoV-1, which was also why early on in the pandemic, they were able to get like so much more testing done. We, we definitely had a couple oofs and whoopsies and we we're stepping over our own toes a lot of like, no, mm -hmm. we're going to do our own test because we're American. We do it better than everyone else. Like we won't use that who test. You know, we want to hook <laughs> into our flu zone or whatever, like the flu testing diagnostics. I get that, but there's already a known test out there that like would have should have, would have, could have, you know, like maybe we could have prevented more deaths. I don't know. Like, I think the hard part too is like, I mean, we, we both live in the county that was like the first one in Washington state 
that you know was had yeah. the outbreak, right? You know, know. Snohomish County. We we were that early on. Weird. And, that was yeah. really weird. Being like, you know, hearing about this pe- impending pandemic and then being like, yeah. there's confirmed cases. You know, it's like right, where? exactly. It's, it's like, like oh, you know, like it feels far away. Twenty, 20, 20 miles away. Twenty, 20, 20 miles like, away. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like so. you know, growing up in Montana, all this stuff always happens somewhere else. So you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of people who are worried about a, a fourth wave right now, and I think that you know, with with vaccinations being out for as long as they are, for the data showing that this thing is actually a lot less deadly than it supposedly was, there's going to be a lot of people who just say, screw it, I'm going out. And Oh, yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing especially too, in the summer, because we, we have summer coming. Yeah. Well, and the hard part, too, is like, obviously, our kids can't get vaccinated. Well, the, the youngest vaccine out there right now is up to 16 and over, yeah. right, with uh, yeah. Pfizer, I think. Mm-hmm. Um. And two, for most kids, like they're asymptomatic. Yeah, there will be some, I don't want to dismiss that there aren't like some kids that will get drastically sick. Like, you know, every population has its subset of challenges or secondary comorbidities and whatnot, like, or just fluke weird things. Like the news has thoroughly highlighted edge cases. We, you know, totally get that. 99% of the time, people are going to be fine in that age group. But I think the question is like, how much responsibility as a parent or whatever do you have if like this was a real challenge for us, which is like I was on the more like let's be cautious end of the spectrum while we had family living with us. And we had other folks that are like, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever. And it's like and they definitely had some health concerns. You're like, you, you probably should be a little more cautious about this, given your health issues. Yeah. So. And as a society, we have to grapple with that exact same thing, which is like you have people that are at risk they probably should be more cautious and we have other people that aren't at risk that are being overly cautious and kind of like just not living life and it's like they're neither of those ranges are healthy well, and for both him. of them have costs because i mean you, you, the the person who is actually more likely to survive covid but is deciding to just live in a cave yeah you know, that, that that will you do that on a large enough level and suicide, depression, anxiety oh, yeah, absolutely. will I mean, all go up. And, you know, that 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 is a cost overall to society, which oh, yeah. you know, you, you never want to have to have to be in that kind of situation. But I mean it's it's very easy to kind of essentially give in to fear on this one after we've been talked to for a year about how, how bad this thing is. Yeah. So I gotta wrap up here because we have the birthday oh, event we're heading to okay now, so it is time. okay well uh try to end it on a more positive note so uh go team <laughs> <laughs> go, go team i think that, i think there's actually a lot of positives i think we're i think we're right at the tail end of this thing I at least too. in the united states and um hopefully we're able to share our resources with those in need and this this can all be a uh not so fond memory for a lot of folks but it'll we'll be done with this and we'll get uh so let's watch Contagion together on the topic of yeah on the topic of being totally positive of being positive yes that's great Um. Um. (laughs) (laughs) okay all right there's a lot of good research that's come out of this thing honestly there's there's a lot of learning there's a lot of yeah well and that's like like the the mRNA stuff like being able to prove that that worked like who thought we would have been able to prove it like because that would have been what probably ten years out before actually and and there's some real diseases that. Could put, I mean, like, if we can, 
like we've proven the general concept that mRNA can be safely tolerated. Cancer research, being able to produce new vaccines for like the flu variant, like in 60 days versus like months, because just growing things in eggs takes a long time. Oh, yeah. Think of how many chickens we've made happy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Do you have any social media that you want to call out on this? Yeah, I can. I'm on Twitter uh, at Jack D. Peterson is uh, my Twitter Twitter handle. It's probably okay. the best place to find me. Okay, um, cool. Yeah. All Thanks right. Again. Well, thank you very much and uh, talk to you later. Sounds good. Take care.